Thanks for listening to The Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. Our series um, we called our Sour Subject Series, and we're talking about some things that we don't often maybe like to talk about in church, or we don't talk about enough at church. And obviously, there are kind of some hot-button issues that are in our world and in our culture, and we've talked about some of those over the past couple of weeks, and I want to kind of circle back around to something that we got a lot of um, kind of feedback about um, of a couple of weeks ago, and something that uh, our ladies were talking about, one of our ladies' gatherings um, just a couple of months ago. I did a, I did a, a discussion a few weeks ago uh, about our mind, and, and we entitled it Mind Your Business, and it was a little bit about kind of a, a beginning format that if we could think about the process of, of just how our mind operates, that if we could kind of put it in the context of what it takes of, of opening a business or running a business, how healthy, right, and productive that we work to keep a business running or keep it successful in the same way that our mind is that central part of our life that has this push to keep all the areas of our life healthy as well. As well. And I wanted to circle back because a lot of people wanted to know more about that. And Dr. Lydia was here that day and we talked about a lot of different facets. When we think about mental health or, or anxiety or depression or some of the things that have become so prevalent in the world. So we're going to take just kind of another kind of opportunity to talk a little bit more about what we need to know, certainly as a follower of Christ, and in this big genre around this area of, about mental wellness today. And so, um, in fact, uh, I've got another kind of hot topic for next Sunday. Um, and then the last Sunday of August, we're going to make um, a text available, a text number available, maybe this week or definitely by next Sunday. And we're going to let the audience, we're going to let you choose some topics for the last Sunday, okay? So you can text into this number, maybe one of these kind of hot button, sour subject issues that you'd like us to tackle. Maybe I'll have the opportunity to take on a couple of them, so you can be a part of the series as well, okay? So that's going to happen in two weeks, so just kind of get ready for that, and as we throw that out, we'd love to get some response from you, uh, whether, again, maybe something that we touched on and you want to we want to go deeper in that or maybe something as of yet that we haven't had a chance to jump into. So be ready for that um, in two weeks, okay? It was on April 5th, uh, April 5th, 2013, when Pastor Rick and Kay Warren's son, Matthew, took his own life. He was only 27 years old, but had struggled with depression for most of his teenage and adult life. And in case we think that only people that come from terrible home lives, those who struggle with poverty or the plight of homelessness, those are the ones that suffer with depression, anxiety, or mental illness, Rick and Kay Warren pastor one of America's largest churches. Over 15,000 people gather at Saddleback every Sunday. They have a, had sold books and series, video series that have been sold 
really in the multi-millions. They have ministry strategies that have been replicated in churches thousands of times over and over. Some of you have probably read The Purpose Driven Life um, at some point over the last 10 or 12 years. And there's something that's still so shocking in the midst of all of that, that here is a family that have truly done so much for God. And you may or may not appreciate all of their ministry strategies or what they do or they don't do, but they've had hearts to serve God and have hearts to serve the community and the world for a long, long time. They've done a lot for God, and yet even in the middle of their lives has come an incredible tragedy in the form of depression and mental sickness as their son took his own life. Over these past years, they have been very open about their son's death and the process really for the church, for us to consider how do we help people who struggle with doubt, depression, anxiety, mental struggles, mental illness. You see, unfortunately, there's often been a stigma, I think, that gets attached with that diagnosis. And maybe it's changing a little bit in these last months or years, but as if having faith in Jesus at times makes us immune to suffering from a mental struggle or a mental illness. The truth is, is that believers can get depressed. I know that, it's, again, it's something that maybe we don't want to talk about. Maybe we kind of grew up in, a, in an era where, you know, it's been talked about, well, you just don't have enough faith, or there, there's something else wrong with you, or you just need to pray about it, or you need to come down to the front and we need to anoint you, and, and then you're going to get better. I think the church's response for a long time about these body issues usually evolves around us, whether we should eat too much, right, gluttony, right, or that we shouldn't wreck the temple of the Holy Spirit with bad stuff. I think most of the thing when we think about our physical body, a lot of times all we hear, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God with your body. And I think when we think about that, we kind of think from the, like the neck down, right? Those are all the things that get brought up in church. And yet, very few times do we really take a chance to think about this body from our neck up. And some things that we don't maybe fully realize or or we hear about it, and because it doesn't connect with us, maybe rationally or emotionally, that we don't often give it a second thought, or we just kind of bypass those kind of things. According to the National Alliance of Mental Illness, it's a, one of our nation's largest grassroots mental health organizations. Nearly one in five adults, or 43 million people here in the U.S., experience some form of mental fatigue, mental struggle, mental illness in any given year. So, I mean, when we think about, you know, just the crowd that is here today, I have to be aware that there are probably a number of us here today that have felt just the pangs mentally of the struggle of life or bouts of depression or anxiety or fears that, that become overwhelming in our lives. In fact, it's not just us as adults, but 20% of youth ages 13 to 18 will experience some mental struggle at some point in their teenage years. I want to talk about 
some causes and some solutions. And I want to be really sensitive, and these are not uh, encapsulated or one-offs or it's all about this. I, uh, but I want to throw out some things that, that, that you and I can pray for uh, in our own lives. Pray for people in our church, maybe people in your family that, that from time to time have struggles and bouts over these. And then maybe bring some some answers and some helps that we can be to people that are in our network or people that are in our circle that when they seem to go through every answer to every situation and every circumstance. So give me some grace on that. But I want to just provide some bookends about realizing that, that we are going to uh, be around and bump into or experience ourselves moments uh, where life is going to feel like it's going to crush us. And and what is the response that we can be to those people and those that want to call real life their home as well? So when we think or what are the causes of, of that lead into these areas, I think there's a couple of them. Again, I, I won't have time today to talk about certainly all of them, but, but let me, that, that I think they're important for you and I to understand today. I think that people can feel overwhelmed or, or fall into these kind of areas in life because of personal pressures. Whether we think about anxiety, uh, mental challenges, panic attacks, they often come when we face situations or circumstances that seemingly have no resolve or that the conclusion that we are somehow struggling to comprehend, that we feel overwhelmed. I know that we live, and again, if I could just kind of generically say, the greatest country uh, you know, in, in the world, and it's been that way. I, obviously, we've got issues and problems, right? But, but, but in the big scheme of things, like we're really blessed. And yet, it's sad for the last 10 to 20 years that the nation that drives anti-anxiety medication, anti-depression medication is our own country. We by far are medicating more people than any other country in the world. When we think about how blessed we are, when we think how good we have it, when we think that you know, our struggles, as really as little as they are compared to so many that are facing real crisis in the world, and yet it's us who are medicating ourselves, trying to somehow to get out of the funk that we find ourselves in all the time. It does bring it home for us today. I think that some of these issues can come on us acutely, almost where we get a sense like, man, where did this come from? Like it's, like it's happened out of nowhere. But I think the truth is for a lot of us, it's kind of like a slow fuse that maybe we're even unaware that it's being lit. That it's kind of slowly kind of happening to us. And then they're seemingly, as I talk to people, kind of one day that they just can't get out of bed. Listen, I'm not talking about strangers, or I'm not talking about people, you know, like from, from elsewhere. I'm talking about people from among us that just get overwhelmed. And, and maybe when it happens the first time, they just feel like, where did this come from? Only to realize that it's really been this slow burn, that, that kind of slowly, kind of like a, a dark cloak that, that overwhelms and overcomes them. It, it's this overpowering their life. You know, we were talking with our son just while he was home this weekend, and he, was, he uh, had to leave town out of Charlottesville for about four months to do job training, and so he had left 
the network that he had built, uh, the church family that he was a part of, and he was kind of in a complete different environment. And while he was there, his car got stolen. Um, and so now he was depending on Uber, and, and I'm in this city that I don't know where anything is, and how do I get around, and, and I don't have any friends to hang out with at night. And, and he talked to his mom while he was home. He's like, man, there were some days, like, like I left work and just kind of crawled into bed and like stayed there until, you know, six o'clock the next morning. And he said the more that like I allowed that to happen, it was like kind of this dark cloud that, that just kind of was coming over me. And I was realizing some of it, but sometimes I just kind of lacked the, the power to, to break out of that. Over the last six months or so, my wife's brother uh, just retired. He was able to retire early, kind of stayed faithful in a job as Wife had a good job. They picked up from central Pennsylvania. They were able to buy a house in Florida and retire at like age 55. Can somebody say, Jesus, please, why not me, right? <laughs> they bought a house. They're in a little condo unit. Um, they've got a swimming pool. He just bought um, a Mustang, right? Kind of a midlife crisis car. I mean, he is living the life. We were down there in March, like, and I wanted to punch Michael. I just like, man, like you make me so angry, right? Like you got a house, you're in Florida, you're retired, you got a Mustang, you got your muscle car, all this kind of stuff. But for the last like four or five months, he's been calling Debbie just overwhelmed, panicked, heart racing. Just can't get out of bed in the morning. Just struggling with all. And, you know, Debbie's kind of been praying with them and talking to them. And, and, and we kind of sit back. And, and he realizes it as well. He said, my life is perfect right now. It's the best from, you know, uh, from 40,000 feet. It's the best my life has ever been. And yet I'm desperately panicked, unhappy, struggling in my life. Listen, you maybe have felt that way or have been part of that. You know, we talked about years ago, kind of when obviously faith, Facebook was kind of, you know, really kind of overall captivating when there weren't other social media platforms like there are today. And we would hear, especially young people, you know, posting things. And there was this big push that if they didn't get 100 likes, you know, like they wanted to like almost kill themselves, right? Like they were... Like they were going to these massive extremes because we were hoping for some kind of affirmation, like that I matter, that please somebody notice me, and that when some way through even a social platform or what should be normal in life doesn't fill us and doesn't complete us, it's like we are so quick to turn to these incredibly destructive attitudes or lifestyles, choices or decisions. I think we probably, if it's not been us, I think we'd probably be fair to, that maybe all of us know somebody, right? Whether in our family or in our circle that are struggling this way. And so we realize that there are personal pressures. I, I mentioned a couple of years ago, I have a good friend of mine who pastors uh, not only a church in North Pittsburgh, but really a network of churches. He's been a, a partnering pastor with real life with us from the very beginning. His name's Jeff Leak. Pastors are a really large church, and over the last maybe 10 or 15 years, they have planted multiple churches around Pittsburgh and, and, and around the Northeast, and God's really blessed his direction and leadership and vision, but 
he talked about a story four or five years ago that there were all of these wonderful things that were happening. The church was going well. They were planting churches. Miracles were taking place. Um, properties that they had longed to buy for years and years were now just miraculously. Landowners were saying, you know what? We've given you a hard time. We haven't wanted to sell to you for 10 years, but we're going to sell to you. And, and I mean, it was in the midst of all of this, but he was raising a lot of money to get a lot of this work. He knew that he had to train a lot of leaders to, to, to begin these, uh, these churches, that they had to buy property. They were fighting permits from the township and ordinances, all the stuff they never teach you in Bible school. How many, right? I mean, I probably do 90% of the stuff. If I would start a Bible school, it would be completely different than how I went to school. Because it seems like I spend 90% of my time doing all the stuff they never told me at all, right, about what pastoring or leading a church is all about. In the midst of that, there were resistance from people, and how many can believe there was resistance from the devil too, right? It seemed like everything, there were so many wonderful perspectives that were currently happening and on the horizon that he was living his best days, and yet on a Saturday in his office while he was kind of in final prep for a Sunday, he started to go blind. He was probably in his early, late 40s, early 50s. Out of the blue, at his desk, he started to go blind. Perfect health, right? Up until this moment. And then he was overtaken by what he described as debilitating migraines. He said that he actually crawled underneath his office desk because the light that was in the room was just wreaking havoc on this migraine and he found himself in a fetal position under his office desk in his church office like with his hands over his face and there was some rationale still working in his mind to say you're leading a large church you're in the midst of doing amazing things like what is going on and what we would say at the time, or what he described, kind of talking about a burnout. He just had kind of the candle burning at both ends so much that his physical body and his mind just shut off. And the blindness was temporary. It was just somehow his body and mind processing the overwhelming angst that was going very inside of him. He said it was like hitting a wall, and he had to step out of ministry. The church was very understanding. They understood everything that was happening and going on, that it was so much for kind of one guy, right, to kind of be overseeing and in charge of. And he stepped away for a couple of weeks and got some rest and whatever and, and, and was able to get through that season of life. But, you know, it was really brave for him to be able to communicate because I think in the church, and I know for me as a pastor, that's one of the things, right? Like the church has to keep marching on, right? Like I can't slow down. I can't stop. We have to keep advancing. We have to keep going on. But as much as you are human, how many know your pastors are human as well? That sometimes you would kind of imagine that there is a load, there is an emotional load that we carry on behalf of a church or a congregation that at times becomes really overwhelming. So as you face those struggles, we face them as well. I think another cause can be our personal past as well. I think back in the day, the repeated response to people that were dealing with these kind of issues, if it was in the church, that we would simply tell them, well, you just need to pray about it. 
And certainly that's an amazing part, right, of blessing over our life. And obviously we do need to pray about it. But often that's insufficient for people that are facing deep issues, especially that come from their past. And there are probably issues. We've got more than a dozen kids right now that at this point in their life, 14, 15, 16 years old, that have faced more horror emotionally in their life than you and I will ever face in our entire lifetime. It's just the truth of it. They are bounced around from one foster house to another. I've told you honestly, we talked about it last week. They show up here with their clothes in a garbage bag, stained, dirty. We were doing laundry for kids when they went to camp. The camp had a laundromat there. We were doing their laundry because their laundry was filthy. That's how they were brought to camp this week. There are issues, abuse, painful experiences that they have experienced and that some of you, I'm sure, right? The pain of our past, whether it's been mistakes, abuse, wounds, we realize today that there's more than just a spiritual approach, that we've got to do more than just say pray about it, that we also need to have an emotional and a community approach, just want to take a little side note that last week uh, Vince Smith was here and we, we put an emphasis on, on the foster program and, and we kind of put out there that Real Life wanted to do more. Obviously, we're doing these track camps, but there are 14,000 kids in Pennsylvania in foster care. There are 14,000 churches in Pennsylvania. Can anybody make the connection if one church could just help save one kid each. And so we threw it out. The, this whole idea of community is what set Vince apart and why we had him come. Because people that step into the foster program, 90% of them leave by year two because what they've discovered is the lack of community, the lack of help. It's a hard job. It's hard taking care of these kids that have issues, physical issues, mental issues, social struggles, and they feel like they're isolated and alone, and it takes so much that these families get burned out. And so Vince's ministry in this Orphan Alliance is that if, if one family from one church could be the primary, could we have at least five families surround them? to bring meals once a month, to give that family a respite, to help out in some way that that one family, that the success rate drops from 90% down to 10%, that that these foster parents stay in the program almost until the, the child is ready to go out. And last week, although at this point, and I just ask us to pray about that, and although just in this one week I didn't have a family yet say, hey, we would like to be that foster family. I did have five or six of you, family, say, Pastor Jim, count us in. We would love to be one of those respite families. We want to be a part of the community. We'll do whatever it is to help that family. So can I just say thank you so much? And I'm going to ask you to join with me. We've got some time, but we're going to make it a matter of prayer that God raise up one family from real life 
to help foster a child, that we are going to have a community around them that is going to be a success not only to that family, but we want to be a success to that young child to give them the best opportunity to have a victorious, wonderful life. Amen? Well, how many keep praying with me, yeah? Let's keep praying about that. You see, people can't just pray away their abuse or their mistakes. That's part of the issue, but they need emotional support, and they need a community to support them as well. I think, unfortunately, the issue of abuse and hurts in people's past isn't getting less. It's getting more. And I think combined with the shift in our culture, I know that this can lead to isolation. And I think that's in a very small way like what our son experienced. It was just this, just kind of being ripped out of everything that he knew and, and being placed, in a sense, in isolation. And yet, our, as much as we talk about being so socially interactive, right, quote, all of our Facebook friends, right? I mean, we have a thousand of them, but we know they're not our friends, Right? There are Facebook friends. It gives us this false sense of emotional stability. You know, these social and these online platforms can be very brutal as well. Sometimes we've posted, you know, kind of a, a good thing or we've kind of thrown it there and then people just get blasted, right? This anonymity, this kind of being able to, to communicate like without being face-to-face has been, has been so hurtful and brutal in that. Because you and I, I think the other side of it, may not struggle so much with emotional issues. It isn't necessarily carte blanche that nobody else does and that we don't have to deal with it. Or we just tell them, hey, just, like, just deal with it. They can't just get over it. So I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I think as most that we would certainly take time for someone who is maybe battling other physical issues, if they had blindness or if they were deaf or crippled, or some other physical challenge, I think the idea is that a lot of us would go out of our way to help them, help them get seated, help them to, you know, hear what was going on or whatever it is, and yet a lot of times we're not as sensitive to people that struggle with mental challenges. We just kind of, right, we just kind of want to, we, we don't want to deal with that. And it is a longer process. It is more time for you and I to dive in and, and to find out more. It takes some time for sure. And we are living in this fast paced life where that's a struggle for us. I think, thirdly, there can be an issue of personal patterns as well. Why people struggle again with whether it's anxiety or issues or struggles. In recognizing that many of these issues certainly are real. I do understand that some people get stuck because of their unwillingness to make the needed change to get them on the path to wellness as well. I mean, I think there is some responsibility that that we can have, that sometimes we allow ourselves to go down a dark path because we haven't put in the necessary stops, or we haven't built a community, or we haven't attended men's group, life group. Uh, women's group, accountability groups, where there are some set stops along the way that could slow us down from barreling down a path that, that we know that we shouldn't get there. There are people that I know that they are capable but are simply just undisciplined, right? 
about some personal responsibility that they need to take. And how many know that we are living in the age of the enabler, right? Today, some of the kind of catchphrases in our community, in our society, is that there are helicopter parents. How many have heard that phrase? Right, these helicopter parents that just hover around their kids, like, like they're wrapping them in bubble wrap, right? My kid can't fall down. My, my kid can't get teased. My kid can't, and they're just like constantly just trying to keep, obviously we want to keep our kids safe and whatever, but how many know we live in a rough and tumble world too, right? And we can't protect or be protected from everything. Your kids, you put them on sports teams now, and there has to be a tie at the end of the game. Yes? Nobody can lose. We can't have any losers. Everybody gets a trophy. Hello? I could tell you what my dad would say about that. I'll be a little bit more gentle in this age that we're living. You know, in academics today, they're just, you know, kind of moving a shift that everybody passes or everybody gets a grade. Like, we don't want to kind of split the case like that. There aren't consequences to decisions. I think for some there is an idea of self-sabotage that people live, that they, in their calling out for help, are, are willing even to harm themselves in some way to get attention, where a lot of it, some of that is, is unfortunate, and there are some struggles, and yet some of that is, it's a willing sense within to try to get attention to meet some kind of, of lack of need in their own life. Listen, there are sometimes I honestly have to tell people, listen, just stop it, grow up. Yeah? I mean, sometimes there is a part of, of maturing, right? That there are personal patterns that lead people down a path, that it's just undiscipline that keeps them locked in, in that way. Well, let me give you kind of some thoughts on, so obviously there are ways that we can step into those things. What are some ways that can help you and I, help people in our network to step out of situations and circumstances like that? So I think, first of all, is to understand that we, we may not have the best understanding of margins in our emotional life. And that can be a cultural thing, too, living here in America. You know, over the last 25 years, I've been able to take a lot of teams overseas. A lot of them were work teams, especially in the Central and South America. And, and the, the, the people in Central and South America work way differently than how we work here in America. And we have to do a lot of training to our men and women that go down because, you know, like we want to hear the whistle blow at 7 o'clock and grab our tools and work, 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 work until 5.30, 6 o'clock and oh, dust the you know, dust off of our pants and get ready for 7 o'clock the next morning and man, we're going to go after this. And yet in most Latin American cultures, like around 11.30, 12 o'clock, there isn't really a whistle that goes off, but they just start laying their tools down. They find a shaded spot and they siesta for like an hour. Oh, somebody just say siesta with me. Come on, say it. I know, I know Americans can't say that word. I know it's like not in our vocabulary, but let me tell you, it is a glorious thing. In the midst of their day, it's culturally accepted just to take a break. Debbie was just, we were laughing about this the other day. You know, she works out a lot in the morning. We have a lot going on and, you know, working with the school and working with the church and all kinds of stuff. And, 
you know, she's like, I don't know what's going on with me, but like, I feel like I need to take a nap. And, and she kind of says it like derogatory, you know, like, like, let's come on. Like, we can't take a nap. Like, what's going on? Like, I'm not an 80 year old woman. Like only like until you're like of a certain age is a, so, you know, only I'm like, Debbie, like we're at an age, like a nap is acceptable, right? Maybe not like a four-hour nap, but like a good 15, 20-minute. I've been still trying. I have not convinced her yet, but I'm trying to convince her, slow down a little bit, like and enjoy. Listen, most of the time, so we have about 70 children here every day at the Early Learning Center. This place is on fire, like Monday through Friday, like from, from 6.30 a.m. until about 5.30, there are little ones yelling, screaming, lunchtime, snacks, playground, and we love it. I mean, it's awesome to see these kids have a time here. But I found something not too long ago. The school, we've had the school for like 10 years, and I just discovered this like over the last year or two. Because most of the time, so we have a kitchen lady. She, we have a back door to the kitchen that kind of is across the hallway from my office, she'll oftentimes shut that door because when the kids are in for lunch, it's like chaos, right? I mean, it's just noise. And she goes like, I'm trying to, you know, so you can study or do your deal. Like, I'm trying to, you know, I'm like, thank you very much. Like, I love to hear the screams, but like, you know, for like an hour and a half, like that's a lot of screaming going on. And then I discovered at one o'clock, at one o'clock, it's nap time at ELC. And I walk the hall, and there's this little, like, twinkly mu- mood music that's playing. All of the rooms are dark. There's, like, 70 little kids on their cots with their blankies. And it is, like, you can hear a pin drop. And I found, I found my answer. So I talked to Kara, our school director. I now have a cot and a little blankie (laughs) in room two, and I lay down with the kids, and it's like, I get to take a nap every day. It's awesome. I know some of you saying, Pastor, you look younger, you look thinner, you look browner, like, what's going on? What is your secret? It's a nap. That's my secret. So if some of you can help convince my wife, that's that's the one. I think we have to have margins in our... Did you know that the country of France has a 35-hour max work week and that every worker guaranteed by law gets five weeks of vacation every year? I know it doesn't fit our culture, right? And so we find ourselves in burnout. We find ourselves on medications. We find ourselves struggling to go to work. There's got to be something, right? that we have to find some balances. How many know biblically that there is such a thing as a sabbatical? The Bible says that God worked, and then what? God rested. And he did it regularly. In fact, when we read Jesus' story in the New Testament, that often he separated himself from his disciples in the crowd, and he found a private place of rest. I think for us to have better emotional and mental stability is that we incorporate sabbatical into our lives. I've been talking to our church leadership 
for maybe the last couple of years, just for me. We planted the church almost 14 years ago, and I'm not going to bore you or we're not going to drag this out, but, you know, the early years of planting a church, I mean, it was heart, soul, blood, sweat, tears. I mean, I probably aged five years every year for the first years of real life because that's what you have to do. It's all in. We got to make this thing work. And obviously, I wasn't a spring chicken when we started. I am getting better looking and younger all the time, but... But I'm getting older, right? And, I, and I've been talking to the church leadership about a sabbatical for me to, at some point, to, to take a little longer break. Listen, the church is running amazingly. We've got great people on staff. You're an amazing church. I know you don't need me every single Sunday, right? But a chance that is extended to, to just to really clear my brain and clear my head and get a chance to get involved in some academics or some things that kind of relight some fire on some things. Listen, it's healthy for all of us that we have to understand there are margins that are appropriate that give us, again, some mental and emotional stability. Second of all, I think not understanding, I'll just kind of wrap up with one or two more things today. But I think not understanding that we are precious to God and that we can be encouraged to walk in wholeness under the context that there is unconditional love that God has for us. That we are a redeemed believer. Listen, some of you have been told stuff about yourself from people that is not true. You've been lied to. Listen, the devil has lied to you. And unfortunately, we live in a time where we are more apt to believe the lie than the truth. And so when we kind of make a mistake or sin or struggle, man, we feel the weight and the pain. And I'm here to tell you today that God has the power not only to forgive us, but he has the power to forget our sins and our iniquities against us. I want you to believe with me today that God is a past forgiver and a past forgetter. Can somebody say amen? And so we realize that there is work that we do. There is community support. But there is an understanding that we have to hold on to. That we are precious to God. And that we are encouraged to walk in the wholeness and the context of God's unconditional love in our life. God loved us before we were even who we are. So when we often say, I don't know how God could love me for the things that I do or the things that trip me up or the, the challenges that I have in my life. Listen, what you need to remind yourself is God loved you before you were even you. The Bible says while we were still in our mother's womb, that God was knitting us, that God was pouring into our life. And what we need to be reminded in this sense of community I know that we live in a connected world, and yet in the midst of all of this connection, we can still feel very isolated, very alone, very lost. And you know what? For some of us, we're kind of teetering on the edge that it sometimes doesn't even take much for us to fall off the edge. Maybe it's a comment on social media. Maybe it was some bad work partner that is after us. 
Maybe something happened in a relationship, a friendship that, that went awry. And because we're kind of tipping, that it just kind of blows up around us. One of the guys, I've been riding with a bunch of older guys every morning down on the peninsula on our, on our bikes. They're all probably 70 or older. Um, but I made a connection with them last year, and they've invited me to kind of ride with them every morning. They call me the kid. Because I'm 57 and they're all like 70 plus. I still feel pretty good. Although they all ride pretty good, I can usually beat them at the end. So it makes me feel good too, right? But then I don't feel good because they're like 15 years older than me too. So it's like, it's kind of that weird middle. But one of the guys I was talking to is a recover, I get, you know, in their terminology, is a recovering alcoholic. He's been clean and sober for like 25 years. I don't, you know, I've never fully stepped into that world, but I know those that are in that obviously take their sobriety really seriously, and they talk about, you know, their anniversaries, and, and, it's, it's, and so he has become a, a main sponsor to, I'm sure, multiple people over that time here in Erie, and so we were kind of having coffee after the ride this past week, and we were talking about something, and his phone went off. And he looked at it, and we were kind of mid-conversation. He looked at it, and he just kind of said really abruptly, he's like, I got to take this call. Like, hey, cool, no problem. And I kind of walked over and talked to some other guys, and all I could hear Dan was saying was, get to the meeting. Get to the meeting. And then he looked at his phone, and he was like, he hung up on me. And so as I kind of dived back into that conversation, here was a guy that was sober for four and a half years, and that night before, took a drink. And he reached out to Dan, who was his sponsor. And Dan's words were, get to the meeting. He realizes that if you are isolated, if you're on your own, this thing is going to go horribly wrong for you. What do you need? You need community. You need to know that there are people that are going to be with you through thick and thin Listen, I want you to look around just briefly. You see, that's the power of the church as well. I know for some of you that when you go through struggles or issues or whatever, there's always a, an action or a reaction to leave, to just kind of slowly make your way until we don't see you anymore. Listen, there is a part of responsibility that we have, and there is a part of responsibility that you have, is to keep community strong at real life. Can you say amen with me today? And I know that that's our responsibility, but I want to be really straightforward. That's your responsibility as well. When you feel those motions or you feel those struggles, don't turn and walk the other way. Come and walk this way. Why? Because together we are precious to God and that we are encouraged to walk in wholeness under the context that there is unconditional love in this house. That we are going to understand that God's forgiveness over our past and our patterns is the challenge for you and I to live in. So I want to bless you with that today. Um, you know, struggles that we have, I don't believe, are because of a lack of faith. I think there are some moments that they just become so overwhelming. There's maybe a mix of some undisciplined part in all of that. And I want to challenge you in whatever phase that you're at. You know, we said early from real life, and maybe Josh, you can come and help us. That our desire at real life is that we didn't want to run from your mess. 
that we wanted to run to your mess. And I'm sure that we haven't, you know, batted a hundred in every case with every person. We're human and imperfect as well as you. But really that is our heart's desire, is that we have the desire for you to know that you are greatly loved by a God unconditionally and that we want to be an amazing representative of his presence and his power in our life. And so we're right on time today, which is kind of a miracle at real life. And so I'm going to ask, this was in my heart over the last couple of days, and I know that when we talk about kind of this idea of mental illness or depression or struggles or those kind of things, that there's still a little bit of a kind of a stigma attached. But I, I just really felt strongly that I wanted to pray for you. And whether, again, maybe it's just so small in your life or and maybe I don't even know. Maybe it's a little bit of a bigger issue. And so I wanted to close in prayer, but I wanted to do it. So, you know, you guys have been gracious and loving so much over the, over the years. But I'm going to ask you if you'll help me just this last time so that no one feels isolated or kind of pulled out. But I'm going to ask if, and we're, I'm going to pray and we're going to be done. But if we could all maybe just move from where you are and just come down front for a minute for prayer so that everybody, if you're not comfortable with this, nobody's forcing you. But, but I know that there's a sense that just in the house today that we're just going to be one big family. If you're willing to do that, I really appreciate that. That we're not going to do anything funky or crazy or whatever. We're just going to be the family. And we're just going to pray. I'm going to pray over you. And I realize that we have some folks that are watching online today. And again, you might feel isolated. You might feel alone or wherever you're at. And I want you to just feel that you are a part of this today. That we want you to know that you are loved and blessed. You know, this isn't a spot like that we're going to raise hands. And again, who's struggling mentally or who struggles with, you know, anxiety or depression or all those kind of things. This is just a chance for us to know, listen, in some form, we've all been there. We've all struggled, we've all felt lack, we've all felt like no one cares, or or I don't know if I can trust somebody, right, with with what I'm dealing with. And so maybe if some part today, if if nothing resonated with you today, that this last two minutes would resonate with you. That you are in a place that we truly love and care for you, that we're all human, right? And so maybe we've missed the mark on occasions. So we apologize for that. But I want you to know that we want you to have a responsibility as well, to be a part of community, to be here in church, to to get to men's group, life group, accountability, join a life group, do life together so that, like Dan talked about on the phone, get to the meeting. I said, man, I'm going to use that, Dan. When anybody from the church calls me, I'm just going to tell them, get to church, get to church, right? That's where your help is from. But I just thank you. Thank you for coming forward. Like I said, I, I think you, you know my heart, right, in all of this. I, we're all here. We understand. So I just want to pray over you. I, that's my promise. And I just want to pray God's blessing over you. Maybe you have a, a family member, a husband, a wife, a kid who's in the midst of it. So I'm just going to pray over that too, right? You're, you're dealing, maybe not your issue, but you're dealing with their issue. One thing I found about a parenting adult children is you're never done parenting, Right? And I thought that went at 18. I thought you were done. But apparently, right? And if anybody wants to join me for nap time at 1 o'clock, 
come see me right after service, all right? Father, I thank you for these moments of this Sour Subject series that we get a chance to have some heart-to-hearts on Sunday. And again, we talk about some things that maybe we need to talk more about. We need to be open with people that whether they're struggling or maybe they've been lied to or they're finding themselves in a place of isolation and not knowing the hope and the joy that not only comes with being part of a family, the family of God, but knowing what it is to have a real personal relationship with a God who truly forgives us and forgets the mistakes of our past and the struggles and truly wants to pour down his unmerited favor on our life. And so, Lord, for those that are around this room today, we we took this mode so that no one feels set apart or, or picked on or, or on their own, but, but we all are one today. And that we pray for one another, we love one another, we challenge those that are here and those that are not here truly to get back to church, to get back to family. That's where our help and our strength comes from, the joy that we have in serving and living for you and doing it with one another. So God, we just ask the power of the Holy Spirit Lord, my prayers don't have to be big and booming for the Holy Spirit just to be real, present, and at work in our lives right now. And so I do ask the Holy Spirit, this indwelling presence of the power and the Spirit of Christ to move in and through us in this closing moment. Let people feel loved. Let them feel that there is a presence and a power of God who maybe they have struggled to believe in is still there with them, that is with them, that is over them. I know that there have been bad things that have happened to good people, and our heart is broken over that. But God, in some sense of mending, that we are also allowing them to be in this community to realize that we might not have been part of that past mistake, but we are going to be a part of their future healing and the wholeness of their life as well. That there is going to be a change from the baggage of the past to the glorious joy of knowing that we can walk free today in our present and our future. That's the power of the Spirit of God. That's the power of the church today. And so God, I do pray this blessing over every life, those who have been watching online with us, that we would receive the joy of the Lord. Let it be our strength today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.